Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Kat Bogard, a fellow freelance writer who provides helpful advice and resources for creative freelancers. We both know Kat personally, and if you're struggling to pitch stories and land freelance writing clients, Kat's Pitch Pack takes the guesswork out of formatting those nerve-wracking emails. The pack includes eight pitch email scripts for a variety of scenarios, completed samples for each template, and some helpful tips to write pitches that get responses. For more about Kat and to purchase your own pitch pack, visit katbogard.com slash pitch pack. That's K-A-T-B-O-O-G-A-A-R-D slash pitch dash pack. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. So we want to talk today about positions of privilege when it comes to freelancing and issues of race, class, gender, and culture when it comes to what we do. And we want to start off by saying we come from relative positions of privilege. We are both white women living in the United States. We are educated and grew up in families that I think, you know, prioritized our education. So we don't today want to be super prescriptive in telling people from less privileged positions what to do. That's not what we're here to do today. Um, But we do hear from freelancers all the time that their level of privilege has ramifications for their business. And that's something that we think is worth exploring. So why don't we start by acknowledging that we're women and that has had ramifications for our businesses. So, you know, what have you noticed, Kaylee, about being a woman freelancer versus a male freelancer? And and has that had an impact on your business? So I think there are two main things that jump out out at me as far as at least my personal experience being a female freelancer. Number one is that both through the coaching work that I've done and through my own experience with pricing projects, when I talk to male freelancers and I ask them what they would have quoted for a similar type of project or maybe what they did quote if if it's somebody that maybe we were going for the same type of project and I just kind of ask the question post you know I get feedback that okay we're going in a different direction I'll ask the male counterpart what he charged and I'm always shocked that it's significantly higher than what the the female counterpart has charged me or somebody else and so mm-hmm. I think that that's fairly common. I definitely think that there's a little bit of a wage gap. And I think that a, an easy solution to that is greater transparency and and more of those candid conversations where everybody's just kind of being open about their rates because I think that that's always a really valuable exchange and, and really important. The other one is that women have a terrible tendency. And I say terrible because it gets taken advantage of, but we are often so accommodating that we will throw in extras, not charge for our time, just do it to be nice. We work for free is what ends up happening. And so I was just talking to somebody the other day about how this plays out in consulting and what happens is massive scope creep. And so because women feel uncomfortable about pushing back or saying, you know, they don't want to have the confrontation over, hey, this is more work than we originally agreed to. So they just shut up and do it basically. So that those are the two main buckets I see. What about you? Well, I, I see both of those things that, that you've discussed, that 
it's not different than what you see out in the regular workforce where men are sort of lauded as smarter or more expert or whatever. I do think at the same time, there is a lot of room in the freelance space for anyone to thrive. So I think that's one of the benefits is, you know, you have the power as a freelancer to have some conversations with other people, men, women, people in different positions of privilege from you and, and understand what they're charging. And, you know, I, it's actually female writers earn only 84% of what their male counterparts make. This is from a 2020 global freelancer income report from a company called Payoneer. And the good news with that is it's actually better than the global average, which is only 64%. It's still not equal, like 84% of what a male counterpart makes. Like that's not enough, but it's a little bit closer. And I, I think maybe that that's pause for a little bit of a moment of positivity to think that in the freelance space, maybe we have a little bit more control over that. And, you know, that brings me to another point about this is that there are lots of things companies and individuals in various positions can do to make the situation better. And this is not just male and female. It's also, you know, race, class, and and everything else that comes into it. But the way I see it is that it's the people with the control that have the power to do the right thing. It's not a freelancer in a less privileged position that has all the power and needs to buck up and create a better proposal and have all these conversations. And, you know, of course they, they need to be working on their business, but it's really the person who's hiring them and in the position of power that needs to sort of do the work. Right. And as I was researching for this episode, I found that Fiverr found that women only make 0.4% less than male counterparts on the platform, which I think is statistically insignificant, basically. And I have to imagine that's a hats off to Fiverr and how they run their platform. Like whether that is Fiverr saying we're, you know, when we, when we show jobs, we're going to show an equal number of people from whatever, or they, they promote certain people or they have some price standardization or something. They must mm-hmm. be doing something that is, that is helping the people on the platform. And then the other example that I want to give of this, and I was telling you about this earlier and I didn't finish, but so there was this guy on Twitter. And he said something like, it was like a viral tweet. He was like, I just opened a a freelance job and I got all of these proposals from people. And wow, the men quoted much more than the women. Interesting. His call to action was, women, you should charge more. And it's like, "Mm, you're putting that all on the women to do that. Like I really, I thought it was good that he was highlighting this publicly, but I found it really problematic that then he was saying like, women, you should charge more. And it's like, no dude, like you should like basically say what the budget for the project is and you can have sort of a range and you should pick the person who you think is going to be absolutely the best for the job and pay them like as much as the, as, as you can afford, right? Like that's where he has the responsibility in that position of privilege. And, and he has the power, right. To actually make a difference with this, right. As opposed to being like, I'm going to go with the, with the girl. Cause she's a little bit cheaper. Right. <laughs> so, so wait, I want to pause and ask you a question about this. I, my question that popped into my brain when I was thinking about this is 
like in your own business, maybe this is a good way to phrase it in your own business. If you work with subcontractors, if you find that somebody does a really good job, like do you, and you feel that they're not charging enough. Do you give them a bonus? Do you like tell them to charge more? How do you do it? I mean, I literally say that's not enough. So I work with one subcontractor and I always ask him, it's a him actually, to give me a quote. And I have a number in my brain that I'm willing to pay for the work. And I ask him to give me a quote as an exercise for him to, <laughs> to, to, like, to give me a quote for what he thinks it's worth. And if he is below that number that I have in my head, I say, okay, thank you for your quote of $250, but I'm going to pay you $500 for this article. And then I think everybody feels good because he recognizes that I have value for the work. I feel like a mensch, right? Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm giving him more than he asked for, but he also starts to see like, oh, my work is actually like worth, worth something. So this is, that's super interesting because the person you're speaking about is probably the exact same person that I was thinking about when I asked that question, because I believe it's also the same person that I work with. And Maybe. I do the same thing. He always underquotes, and I always say at the end of the month when he sends me an invoice for any subcontracted work, hey, let's bump this up to X because the work mm. is really And for him, I think he kind of has come to expect that, but it's also like a nice surprise. And it's a good incentive too, like to maintain the quality level. Yeah. And, but I would say that probably the answer for both of us is actually to standardize it. So like one thing, if we're thinking about our position of power is we hire sub subcontractors. So what can we do to better include subcontractors of all stripes, right? Like hiring men, women, people of color, people in different countries, like whatever it is. One of the answers there is like, we can standardize the rates somewhat so that if we're hiring someone to subcontract a blog post for us and it's of a certain length, it's always the same rate. Um, and so that there, there's sort of a standard across the board and we think it's fair and they think it's fair and everybody's getting the same because you don't want to create a situation where you have a, you know, a white male freelancer, for example, but it could be anybody say, oh, I want $500 for that. And then you have a, a black female come to you and say, I want $200 for that. And then suddenly you're paying both of them totally different rates. And then like, that's, that's like, that's really, really, really problematic, I think. So yeah, I think when I worked with a coach, she, she talks so much about standardizing rates and the importance of that for paying subcontractors, which I haven't totally done. I tend to, to do them on more of a one-off basis, but I do think that as you scale up and, and you're offering more and more of the same work, some standardization can help actually be a more equitable business. And so I'm curious too, like, what are some other ways that freelancers can run more equitable businesses? Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of really easy ways that people can be, I guess, more inclusive in the day-to-day, -day, you know, execution of work and, and running a business. Number one is like promote people outside your bubble. So if you need sources for an article or if there's a speaking opportunity that comes up that's not a good fit for you or you have an opportunity to refer someone, don't just think about people who look and sound like you. Look about look to people who maybe are a little bit more diverse and maybe don't have the same opportunities. And I think use those moments of leverage to again, I feel like that's a place of power to say like okay, well, you should speak to X. You have the opportunity to refer somebody 
who, again, might not have the same opportunities as you. And that's a great way to lift other freelancers up and, and kind of give them that boost that they probably need. What about you? What, are, what do you think are some of the easy things that come to mind as far as like, hey, I can do that. That's, that doesn't cost me a thing. It's really helpful, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if any of it is easy in the sense that I think you have to be really deliberate to be more inclusive in your business. It's really important. It's something that I'm always thinking about and trying to do, but it actually takes some practice because the people that I regularly know, it's like, it might, it's even like you and me, right? Like, I mean, we, we have the same skin color and we live in different parts of the country, but that's about it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I'm, if I think I have to sort of deliberately expand my network and say like, okay, I need to find more people who are different than me in various ways so that I can promote them so that I can include them. And if I'm, if I'm writing an article, for instance, I mean, I think about you writing articles about e-commerce and retail, and it might take a little extra digging to find a black business, for example, to profile or, um, an Asian business to profile or a women run business or, or some, whatever, whatever it is, right. A business in another country, like there might be one in front of you that is a great fit and you're like, well, I could include them, but I also need some other examples here. And you do have to do a little bit of extra work. I do think that also like one of the things that we can do is have more of these conversations and have, especially around rates, because I think that is one thing that we have the power to share, hey, this is what I'm charging for this. This is what I think you should charge. And and being more open and transparent about that. I've actually noticed that women are much more open and transparent about the freelance rates they're charging than men are. That's mm-hmm. been my experience that women are like, oh yeah, I charged X for this. And I asked the guy and he's like, oh, between, you know, Y and Z, or he says something kind of vague. And I'm not sure what exactly that is about, except that I think that women have this feeling that we need to be more of a community working together to get ahead, right? Men maybe are more every man for himself. Have you had that experience too? I have. And I I think that I have been fortunate to encounter a few guys who've been pretty open and candid about their rates. But I would say, Um, if I looked at the zoomed out perspective, yeah, there is a little bit more like gray area, I guess, and ambiguity when they have those conversations, which I mean, it's everybody's personal call. I I mean, you can't force anyone to share their rates, but yeah, I do agree that I feel like there's a little bit more of a sense of community on the female side of that equation. And maybe we only feel that way because we're females in that community, right? Like right. Maybe That's our there, lens. Yeah. That, there could be a male who's like, oh man, all these female <laughs> freelancers like won't let me into the info or whatever, right? Like, I, I don't know their perspective, but I do think it's important to actually ask them, right? Like, what's your perspective on something like this? Like, what are you doing in your business to use your use your level of power to sort of give back, right? And lift everybody else up as much as possible. Do you want to talk a little bit about using inclusive language too? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's 
part as writers, especially that's, that's one thing we have to be mindful of is the words that we choose and the language that we tie into the things that we write and and help clients put out into the world is thinking about how other people will interpret the things we write, the language we use. Is it alienating? Is it inclusive? You know, is it something, is it referencing like a pop culture reference that that people would generally understand? Or is it insensitive to certain communities? I think that these are all important considerations to think about. And that's that's kind of what the newsletter I sent out this morning was about. But on the same token, I think it's also important to know that there are companies out there who are doing what they call DEI projects, so diversity, equity, inclusion. I think that those are great efforts. But what I have been experiencing and and it's been really eye-opening for me is that sometimes, not always, but sometimes people of color feel like those opportunities are not sure what the right word for this is, but a little bit condescending because it's like, don't refer this project to me because it's a DEI project. Refer me because I'm the best person for the work, right? Like don't single me out because of the way I look or the culture I'm from or whatever. Let me stand on on my own merits. And I think that that's a really valid point. Yeah, it is a valid point. And I think, you know, the work sort of should come first in the sense that that's why somebody is hiring you. Like you don't want someone to just to just give you the job because it feels sort of like scraps that they have to give you, right? Yeah. And so I think that's like a delicate dance though because we do want to be promoting, you know, we want to find ways to lift people up without patronizing them, alienating them you know, all of those things. I do think what you said, like about the pop culture references is interesting because I see a lot of pop culture references and copy, and I find it really problematic and exclusive actually, um, to many communities. So like, I'll see, I see advice out there of like, you know, use the pop culture references that your ideal customer would get, but that's like very coded, especially because pop culture references are very, culturally specific to a certain location, age, and often like race or community. So a lot of pop culture references are like very ageist actually, because like, you know, something that, that would be a pop culture reference for you and me, like my mom totally wouldn't understand. Right. Or someone like people that marry someone from another country often joke like, oh, they don't understand any of the same pop culture references, right? Like they don't, (laughs) they don't know about Britney Spears because, or maybe that's a bad example, but like there's some pop culture references they don't understand. They didn't watch the same things on TV. They didn't, they just had different experiences. And I think actually it's one thing that we can be really careful about. Like why does, why do pop culture references like really need to be in your all over your copy if it doesn't, if it's, if there's no call for it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I just want to bring up briefly because somebody pushed back this morning. I I referenced that newsletter I sent out that was kind of on this topic. They, and they said, I understand what you're saying, but I also feel like being overly sensitive with language and things like that, it makes everybody really fragile. And it's like a little bit of fear mongering, which I guess I understand a little bit, but I also kind of feel like I'd rather be on the side of being more careful and sensitive to the things that I put out rather than being like, suck it up. You know, everybody, yeah, of course, everybody has different opinions and stuff, but that's not up to you to, you know, 
that's not your cross to bear, essentially. So I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking about that and and kind of turning it over in my mind. What do you think about that? Do you think that it's there's a balance between too sensitive and sensitive? I don't know. I think that this is when I said earlier, like, I don't know if any of this stuff is easy. That's kind of what I was referring to. Like some of these questions are open to interpretation and uh, people have different perspectives on them. I think the way I think of it is like you never lose out by being inclusive to people. And that doesn't mean that you can't say stuff that people aren't going to like, or that is your opinion. But if you are saying something that's purposely exclusive, what's the, what's the benefit? Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) know. What's the benefit? Not, not that anyone does it purposefully. I think it's more about sort of being mindful of it really, rather than just sort of you know, saying I'm never going to put an opinion out there or I'm never going to make a pop culture reference or I'm never going to like there's a room for a pop culture reference in an email newsletter that's about you and what you watched on TV that weekend and all that. I mean, so much of it is context, right? Like what what is the thing that you're writing? Who is it for? Like there's no reason that a pop culture reference needs to be like on a, a coaching website. That's where I see it, where I'm like, it doesn't need to be on a coaching website because if you want to coach all kinds of individuals, like why is a pop culture reference there? And I don't think that's sort of being too sensitive. I think it's actually being practical. Like it's better for you, (laughs) you know, like you could get more customers and you can help people of all different stripes if you're, if you, if you don't include that, not that it's going to be like a total deterrent to people, but I don't know. Like, I think being more inclusive actually like benefits everybody. So I don't really see the downside. I I don't see, I mean, I can understand what a person is saying of like, oh, you're being too sensitive, but I read your email this morning and that's not how I interpreted it at all. You're sort of, you were sort of calling people to ask people to consider others' perspective. And we should always be doing that as good writers, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's kind of the rising tide raises all ships. It's just kind of that message of like, Remember that just because you interpret things one way, that doesn't mean everybody else is going to because everybody has their own perspective, their own lens, their own point of view. And that's kind of what we're talking about with considering that when you're writing. So to wrap things up here, I I kind of want to talk about this closing idea that we had from a listener who said, what do you do if you feel like your, your level of privilege is affecting your business or your maybe your lack of privilege, which I think is what she was speaking to. So she was talking about how she is from the Philippines and she gets a lot of feedback that people feel they should pay her less because she does live in the Philippines and she's kind of bumping into some issues with that. And and so I want to kind of close with some feedback and some thoughts on that. Yeah. So when I heard this question from her, my first thought was honestly like, why are you asking us? In the sense that we... Of course, we're we're freelancers, but this is something that like I don't feel that I have the authority or the understanding or the perspective to to answer. At the same time, I thought, why is the location relevant? How do your clients even know your location? And I and when I was thinking that, I wasn't thinking, oh, she should hide where she's from or her name or her background, but I'm thinking there are other things that should be top of mind when she's meeting with a new client. 
So for her, the website and samples are going to matter that much more than they might for someone named Megan Smith from Stony Brook, Connecticut, which like, that is <laughs> shitty. Like, I don't know how to, you know, I, I wish it weren't that way, but she's going to need a, a website and samples that show that she can do the work. I think that as you were talking about earlier, people don't want to be hired just because they're sort of the DEI and nobody from the Philippines wants to be hired just because they're from the Philippines, right? And so give them give them a reason to command the higher rates. And at the same time, as I said earlier, like I am not probably me and maybe not you, although I'm curious what you think, or we're probably not the right people to answer this question. And I would encourage her to talk to the most successful freelance writers in the Philippines. So Make a list of the five to 10 top prominent um, freelance writers in the Philippines that are that you think are running a really great business and pay for a coaching call with them or, or send some emails to them, figure out like, how have they combated this stigma? Um, they'll be better in position to answer this question than we are, I think. Yeah, I think that that's, that's probably my response as well. Although I will add that I have seen plenty of really successful freelancers, a couple right off the top of my head, who do live in other countries who do not look like you or I do. They are definitely people of color and and women and have very successful businesses. So I don't Absolutely. think that it's a it's a disqualifier. I, I don't think that it's impossible to fully embrace your culture and and be who you are and have that be part of your personal brand and not have it be a detriment. I think Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, the people I think of who do a really good job and and have great businesses do exactly what you said. The the work speaks for itself. That is the focus. That is the value. They let that social proof kind of speak for itself and stand on its own rather than marketing themselves so much as the product. It's their work. Yeah. It's the focus. Yeah, and I would say that like these people too, they're still putting their face on their website. They're they're yeah. not changing their name. Like that's no. not something that seems like it should be, it, it needs to be done. And again, like we think that this is an important topic to address, but at the same time, we're probably not the, the final word on this. In fact, we definitely are not. not. No, we're we are definitely not. not. So we're learning too. And the reason that we wanted to have this episode is, is to sort of acknowledge the elephant in the room for people that are listening and wondering about this. And yeah, I mean, we, we hope we've done the topic justice. I think it's a topic that can that that everybody has a perspective on. And, and you know, I would just encourage everyone listening that you have some power in some way. And how can you use that power to, to help someone else that might have less of it? Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.